Let's get into the story a little bit today. I'm going to give you a little introduction because the, the scripture, if you're in Acts chapter 12, so that everyone heard it again there, that's where we'll be in a minute. Um, it starts out with the words, it was about this time, and I'm like, that's a tough way to start a sermon because people didn't know what time it was if you didn't read chapter 11 or the previous 10 chapters before that. So about this time specifically is like about this time that Stephen was just killed. Josh talked about that last week. He was persecuted for his faith in Jesus and stoned. Um, about this time includes the time that the church, which is us, and other people that believe in Jesus um, were being persecuted, like massively persecuted, especially in Jerusalem, um, so much so that they were, they were starting to scatter. So that's what's going on with the, with the people that believe in Jesus. The other thing that was going on was it was the same time of year um, as Passover. So similar, like this same time of year, except for years later, um, that we know about the passion of Jesus Christ. Also at that time was the festival of unleavened bread. They're kind of, in the New Testament, they're kind of like both in the same thing. And... Um, this was a celebration, a, a ritual of the Jewish people to rid themselves, that they did sacrifices and stuff to like rid their, themselves and their community of sin and, and evil. And then the Passover is the remembrance of God passing over the Israelites in Egypt and rescuing them. Um, so that's an awesome story about rescue that they were celebrating, and that we get to hear about another amazing rescue in a minute. So I'm going to talk about some of the characters that are going to be in this story that we're going to read today. The characters are <clears throat> King Herod, the Jewish people, Peter, an angel of the Lord, and the church. And there's a group of guys that didn't get uh, mentioned. They're the guards. They are important, so I'm sorry that I forgot to mention them. They, they don't have a very good ending. So the guards is another group. But let's go through these five first. So King Herod. Um, when I first started reading this, well, not first. When I recently was rereading this chapter, I was uh, meeting with a friend and talking about it. And we were like, what's with all the King Herods? There's so many King Herods. And who is this one? And where does he come from? And is he a Roman or is he Jewish? And why would Rome let there be a king? And why would the Jews even want a king? And so... Here's what I know. Here's what we found out. Um, King Herod Agrippa is this guy, and he was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king at the time when Jesus was born, the one that wanted all, all children wiped out, essentially, because he had heard that the Messiah was coming, and he, and he didn't want that kind of competition. So he was trying to just eliminate um, Jesus' existence to begin with. So he's that guy's grandson. So doesn't come from a great line of people so far to start out. Um, he would have been educated and trained in Rome, um, but his grandmother was Jewish, so he's got sort of a combination of Roman and Jewish tradition um, in him. He, was, he would have been appointed a king of Judea by Rome, who was actually like control of the area, but he was appointed king of Judea, sort of like this pseudo, you can be the king of those people, but if you don't do what we want, we'll crush you kind of thing. And 
the Jewish people actually did look to him as their king. In fact, we won't get to it, but later in Scripture, when Herod meets his death, it's because he gives a speech and the people are like, you did so great, you sound like God. And um, Herod did not say that I'm not God. In fact, he kind of reveled in it, and then that God had, had enough with that sort of attitude. So... Um, Anyway, what is Herod doing at this time and why? He is rounding up believers of the church and persecuting them, putting them in jail, believers of Jesus. And um, in one instance, we know, like, had at least one person killed. Why is he doing this? Because the Jewish people are, they're like eating it up. They're enthusiastic about it. They're excited. They, he's getting great feedback from his audience. And so he... He's continuing to do it. The next group of characters we're going to look at are the Jewish people. The Jewish people are still following the old way, the, the law. They're, they're trying to live up to the code, some of which God put in place, much of which they kind of put in place on themselves and, and on the, their community. Um, we know this because it says they're, they're still celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. And what's odd about this group of people, again, is, I mean, they're the Jewish people and they are God's people and they believe that they are God's people and yet they are excited and anxious and anticipating the fact that another church leader is going to be put on trial and probably killed. But from their perspective, they really feel like this is what we're supposed to do to people who, who are leading other people astray. Like, they didn't consider Jesus to be the Messiah or their Savior. So in their eyes, they're doing what's right and actually following some of Deuteronomy and saying these people need to be stoned because they're leading others astray from the true God. Peter. One of the main characters of today's story, the same, just so we know who he is, because there's a lot of Simons and a lot of Peters and a lot of Jameses and a lot of Marks in the Bible. So this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times during his capture and his trial. Uh, the very same uh, Peter that Jesus called the rock on whom I will build my church. Same guy. And the same Jesus, if you were here two weeks ago, or do I keep saying Jesus? The same Peter, if you were here two weeks ago, um, that Josh talked about, he healed a lame beggar on the steps or on his way into the temple. Not on his own, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to allow God to work through him and heal a man who had never walked in his entire life. So this Peter, he's gotten to be a part of some really amazing things that God is doing. Next we have an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. So in Scripture, we know that when it says the angel of the Lord, that the text is actually talking about God himself, the Holy Spirit. This is an angel of the Lord, not named specifically, but one of the angels of God's army who is sent out to do God's mission or whatever particular mission that he has for him. And it's kind of like um, when God sends an angel to do something, poof, he's there. And when his mission is complete, poof, he's gone. So that's kind of what we know about that angel of the Lord. And then finally, we have the church. The church, again, this is not a building. This is not 
just some people. This is everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And just so that we're clear, this is not those of us who intellectually understand that Jesus um, existed and he was human and that he died on the cross and somehow that takes care of us being like bad people. That's intellectually, yes, and that's important and that's part of it, but the church is filled with people who have faith in Jesus. We trust Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to, to make Jesus the Lord of every aspect of our lives. The church gets mentioned really briefly a couple times in this story, although I'll really point it out a lot because they're one of the more significant characters in this story, in, just in my opinion today. And they're, this story, sometimes the, the church or the people that are following Jesus are just like, there was a large group who followed Jesus or 4,000 people came to put their trust in Jesus that day. This particular group, like God names names, or had Luke name names of who some of the people are that he wants us to know. Um, we're going to get to why that's important. So again, one of the, one of the more important but easily overlooked um, characters in the story today. So now we have the scene and we have our cast of characters. So let's read the story. Again, Acts chapter 12. It'll be up on the front or on the screen, excuse me. And um, I'm reading from the NIV, if that's what you have, it'll make sense to you. There will be times when I'm talking and not reading Scripture, so that's why I wanted to make sure it was up there so you know what's, what's what, because I kind of like to just break in and out sometimes. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the hearing um, and the sharing of your word this morning. Amen. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So, no math quiz for third service because you guys are sharp and everyone knows that that's 16 guards. But 16 guards that Herod put in place over watching one guy. It's a little bit overkill. <laughs> Pardon the expression. Um, 16 guards, and we're going to find out he was chained to two of them. Likely Herod had already heard stories of other followers of the way or the church or believers in Jesus that had escaped from prison. So he is doing whatever he can to make sure that that does not happen with Peter and that this whole trial and, and execution likely will go through. So verse 5, this is really significant. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You guys, praise God and amen that, that we are a church that earnestly prays for one another. Amen. Like it, It's really evident right now with what's going on with, with Shauna and Luke. And there are people here that have been praying for Shauna for 10 years since this all started. And it's, I mean, it's this little line in Scripture, and it's so important for us to, 
to remain there and to continue to do that. Now, earnest is kind of an old word. Where is somebody that's a little bit younger that would never have heard the word earnest before? The girl in the back who's playing with her phone. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not talking to you. Yes, I am. Do you know what the word earnest means? Yeah, you. No idea. That's okay. It's an old word. Anybody have a shot? Anybody younger want to just put up their hand and risk earnest? Oh, come on. I'll give you candy afterwards. How's that? Yeah. What do you think? Honest? That's a good way to describe it. Passionate. That's a great way. What do you got? Constantly praying. What else? There's one more hand back there. What do you got? He got really shy. Yes, sir. Sincerely. Last one. Hardcore. Hardcore. That might be my favorite. You could give him a round of applause. Give him all a hand. That was really good. Earnest is all those things. It is. It's sincerely. It's like hardcore. Like, I really believe that I'm supposed to be praying about this, and I'm not going to stop praying about it until God answers my prayers. That doesn't mean he's going to do what you want him to do. It means you're not going to stop until you know that God has answered that prayer. And let's keep doing that for Luke and Shauna. Okay. Continue on with the story. And this was done on purpose because I do want to emphasize it, even though you think it's ridiculous. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly, you know what? Every time I read this from now on, it's going to be different. But the church was hardcore praying to God for Peter. Awesome. That's probably what it says in the message. Uh, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, let me see if I can find myself here. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side <clears throat> and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. And wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. 
And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Someone laughed. Someone laughed. It's okay to laugh. This is like some really brilliant comic relief by Luke and the Holy Spirit that they put this in there that there's this girl named Rhoda. Amazing that we find out what her name is. It's a servant girl who like hears Peter knocking and goes to the door. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's Peter. We've been praying for you all this time. And then just runs and tells everyone else about it. Like, Peter's here, Peter's here. Well, their reaction is like, you're crazy, right? <clears throat> you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Man, talk about the spirit of discouragement. They've been praying this whole time, and now Peter shows up, and they're like, hey, he must have died in prison. <laughs> his angel's here. But Peter kept on knocking. So he's out there. He's still knocking. This is just a great picture. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. This is like Peter's like, shh. I just think of like Aaron Rodgers and all those quarterbacks. I don't know why. I probably look like a bird if you don't know what I was talking about. <clears throat> so, all the people who are interested in um, grubbing up a bunch of candy next week, time for you to start taking notes because the rest of the sermon is just going to be the questions that I give to Kirk to ask you guys next week. So, what was Peter doing while he was in prison? Was he complaining about being in prison? I mean, it doesn't seem like it. He wasn't even trying to talk his way out of it. And I'm telling you, if we locked those doors back there for 15 minutes, not even, 10 minutes, and locked ourselves in here, there'd be a few of us that started complaining about not being able to just get out of this huge air-conditioned room, let alone being stuck in prison, chained to two other guys. Because when they say he's chained up, he wasn't like chained to himself. He's chained to, to two of the guards. So that in order to move, he has to get them to move, or so you would think. The other thing that I find really astonishing about this is that he's not worried or anxious in any way. At least it doesn't seem like it. Because the scripture says that he's sleeping. What was Peter doing while he was in prison? He was sleeping. I mean, imagine the kind of faith and trust that you have to have in your Savior, that the night before your impending trial and probable death, just for believing in said Savior, that you're, you're so at peace with whatever God has planned that you're able to sleep. I mean, I, this was a long time ago, but I couldn't even sleep the night before the first day of school. Like, and that was like only a little bit of prison. When I was young, I really loved school, but I just saw Casey, and he knows I, I, I didn't always love it as I got older. Anyway, um, so amazing faith by Peter, by Peter to just, just kind of kick back and catch some Zs. So then we get, how did the angel of the Lord help Peter escape? That's the next question. How did the angel of the Lord help Peter escape? Parenthetically, Parents, how to wake your kids up to get to church on time, okay? 
This is like a free lesson for how to get the, the little ones up. Did he show up quietly, like sneak in the room, sort of like, you know, Peter, Peter, it's gonna wake up. we're going to get out of here, I'm going to rescue you. No, it says that the angel showed up with floodlights and like, boom, like this huge light shone in the room, okay? And he, he doesn't like, hey, Peter, woke up. He like, sorry kids, but parents pay attention. He just pokes them in the side like, hey, uh, Peter, get up. Let's go. Put on your shoes. Put on your clothes. Let's go. Put on your cloak and follow me. We're going to get out of here. And so next week when they don't want to wake up for church, you have my permission to try any of those tactics. I'd love to know <laughs> if they work. The other thing that's kind of unique about this, he didn't give Peter a chance really to ask any questions. And Peter, um, you know, for, for his sake, he didn't ask any questions. It was like, the angel's here. He's telling me to do this. I'm doing it. He says, get up. I'm up. He says, put on your shoes. I put on my shoes. He says, put on your coat. Put on my coat. He said, let's walk out this door. He walked out the door. It wasn't like, well, hold on. Who are you? What's going on? Why is it so bright in here? How come no one else is falling asleep? What was with those chains that just miraculously fell off my hands? I mean, maybe he's thinking this stuff, but now is not the time to ask those questions. Let's talk about it once we're out on the road, right? But he, he doesn't do that, and the angel of the Lord doesn't give him a chance to do that. And I think what we can see there is like God speaks and gives us an instruction, and we should be like, yes, and do it. And it should, it should just be really that simple. But if any of you are like me, and God's like, go help your friend move furniture from his apartment this weekend. And I'm like, I'm going to just pray about that and see if that's really something that the Lord would have me do on a Saturday. You know, I'm not the only one. But, this, I mean, that, what Peter's doing and what, how this angel is communicating, it's awesome because I think that's, that's how it's supposed to be. So question number three will be, Oh, I guess I should just say to the video game and movie lovers in the crowd, um, they walked out like the angel of the Lord wasn't yielding a lightsaber and like sawing his way through the guards. They just walked out. I don't know if the guards were asleep or in a trance or what, but the Lord provided a passage for them to get out of prison. The Lord rescued them. In fact, opened up locked gates that just moved on their own. This was way before automatic doors at the grocery store. They just opened up and they walked through. <clears throat> so question number three is going to be, what did Peter do once he was out of prison? Scripture says that he came to his senses. Like he realized what was going on and that it wasn't a vision. And for any of us that have been woken up at three o'clock in the morning and told, let's go get up, we're going to be late for our flight. It does all sort of happen really fast and you like kind of get halfway there before you realize like, oh, this is real. So that's kind of what had happened maybe to Peter. Like, but now he's out there and the angel's gone and he's like, I'm really free. This really happened. And he said to himself, now I know without a doubt that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from Herod and from what everyone was hoping they would see. I mean, indicating maybe that he did have some doubt, the guy that was sleeping <laughs> while chained to two prisoners that were going to pull him off to his death the next day, like, 
But here he says, now I know without a doubt God is on my side. Now I know without a doubt, without a doubt God provided a way for me. Now I know without a doubt God had rescued. God has rescued me. Maybe he's just getting the whole understanding all over again of how good the gospel of the kingdom of God is. Like Jesus is real and he's come and he saved me and he rose again and that's real and this is all real. And so what is he motivated to do at that point? Remember, he just got out of prison and if someone sees him and catches him, they're likely to just throw him right back in there. But Peter understanding all that's happening and understanding all that's real and understanding this, the miraculousness of the moment says, I have to go share this with my friends. And so he doesn't just like skip town and protect himself. He goes to Mary's house. Mary's house is where there was a bunch of people um, hanging out and doing what? Praying. Yeah, so this will be the fourth question. Next week, what was the church doing this entire time? So we know in verse 5, it says the whole time that Peter was in prison, the church was hardcore praying to God for Peter. And then again in verse 12, we get many people had, get many people, not two or three, many people had gathered and were praying at Mary's house. So Peter shows up. And he knocks on the gate, and this servant girl, Rhoda, comes up to the gate. And we know, like, it's funny. I think it's, I think it's awesome that it's in there and that it's funny. And then it's like, what's so important about the servant girl that we get to know her name? Like, how many people in the Bible are just sort of nameless and faceless, part of just larger groups of followers of Jesus? And yet this lady, who is a servant, gets mentioned by name by Luke and by the Holy Spirit in Scripture forever, so that like 2,000 plus years later, we are reading about Rhoda. So I think that the reason that we get this detail is because when we tell stories to people about anything, but let's put it in the framework of, I want to tell you something amazing that happened to me this week at work, and I believe that God orchestrated it, right? When we tell people stories and we can be specific about where and when and who was there, it adds just a tremendous amount of validity and a tremendous amount of reality. And so maybe Luke's thinking that when he's writing this and the Holy Spirit prompts him to put that name down, that it's like, you know what, maybe there's going to be a bunch of people in the servant class that all know each other, but that, that everyone else sort of sees as lower that are going to read this. And they're going to think, wow, that's a cool story that that happened to Peter. That's nice allegory or like, you know, this thing that, that these guys made up and, and wrote about it. And then they get to this part where they read that Rhoda was the servant who opened the door. And then they're like, <laughs> Of course, Rhoda would be the one to leave him out there and run back and tell all the other people because they know Rhoda. So now this whole story that seems like out of this world becomes totally real for them. So I want to take that thought and encourage us. 
One, to be a little bit more vocal about telling our stories first to each other about the ways that God is moving and working and doing things in our lives. Like, I don't know if anyone here has a story about how God rescued you from prison, but we all who believe in Jesus have a story about how God rescued us, period. So the more detail and the more sights and sounds we can bring to those stories for for one another, the more encouraging it is. It's not bragging if you're giving God the glory. Just tell us your story or something that happened because it lifts all of us up when we hear that. And when we are talking to people who don't know Jesus yet, and maybe there's some people here that, that are really curious and don't really know Jesus, like, let's tell them stories or come and talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you some stories that are very specific and I'll name names and times and dates and I want to tell you how Jesus changed my life and rescued me from the road that I was on. I mean, it, it's, it's not hard to witness to people because he's done it for all of us. We just got to, like, know what to say to people. So that's what the church was doing at the time. <clears throat> what are we supposed to learn from Peter's miraculous rescue? This will be the last question next week. And this question is, if you guys have heard me preach before, this is my so what moment. Like, nice story, Mark. Thanks for the entertainment, but so what? Like, why, why does any of this matter? So here is why I think this matters. This is what I think the point of this whole story is. Can you put the answer up there? Because God uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom. God uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I just, I mean, we can't go through the entire Bible with these, but we can go through this story. Let's look at the ordinary person, Mary, the mother of Mark, part of the upper class of citizens. She would have been wealthy. We know this because she had a large house. We know she had a large house because there was many people there that were gathered and praying. We also know that it was large and she was probably well-to-do because there was an outer gate. So she had a wall around the outside of her big house that had a gate for privacy and for security. And so Mary was well-to-do. She was a Christian and, and um, commentators believe that she was probably also a widow. An ordinary woman who allowed many ordinary people who believed in Jesus to meet in her home and pray for Peter. It doesn't seem like much, but, I mean, look at the results. God used Mary to advance his kingdom. I'm just going to keep going through this list, but I want all of us to be thinking about what we think are little things or insignificant things that God could really be using in our lives. I mean, just the way we, we speak to people, he's using us. Mary's son, Mark, Briefly mentioned here. Mark's an ordinary guy. This Mark would have been the same. A lot of commentators, including, and I'm not a commentator, but I also believe this to be true, that this is the Mark that wrote the gospel. And in the gospel of Mark, he tells a story about the rich young man who turned his back on Jesus because he didn't want to give up his possessions. That was Mark talking about himself in the third person. So, that's the mark that we're talking about. The guy that didn't want to give up his possessions and turned his back on Jesus. It's the mark that went on mission with Paul and Barnabas 
but decided that he didn't like that sort of life, and he left them. And you can read in Acts, like, the fact that Paul was really annoyed with the fact that Mark did that. But that Mark is also the Mark that wrote the first gospel. It's the second one in your Bible, but it was the first one that was written. Despite Mark's ups and downs, despite Mark's back and forths, God used Mark to record the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. God used Mark, an ordinary man with plenty of struggle, to advance his kingdom. There's two Jameses in this story. The first one is James, the brother of John. He was a fisherman. He was killed by Herod, it says, by the sword. So the reason that that's significant here is because according to the Jewish law, and you can see this even in Deuteronomy, that when somebody persuaded, when somebody was accused of persuading people towards other gods, they were stoned, like Stephen. When someone was accused or thought to have persuaded an entire city toward other gods, they were put to death with the sword. So this James, the brother of John, the fisherman, whether it was an excuse or whether Herod and the people really believed it, he was put to death because they thought he had led an entire city astray. Meaning he had led an entire city, or what we would think of maybe as an entire community, to believe in Jesus. God used that ordinary James to advance his kingdom. The second James, the one that Peter, at the very end of the story, says, I want you to make sure that you tell James and the other brothers and sisters. He could have just said, I want you to tell all the other brothers and sisters. But he says, I want you to tell James. This second James was Jesus' half-brother. And if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus' half-brother, James, did not believe in him during his ministry. He didn't believe in Jesus until after Jesus was erected and Jesus came and talked to him. Then he believed that Jesus was who he said he was and had done what he had said he was going to do. But then that James puts his faith in Jesus and becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem, one of the bigger churches at the time. God used James to advance his kingdom. And we already talked a ton about Rhoda, but then there's Rhoda, this servant girl, and she's the first witness of Peter's rescue from prison. That reminds me of the first witnesses at Jesus' empty tomb, like these women that show up and Jesus is not there. And she was so filled with joy and excitement that she left Peter outside the gate to tell the others of his arrival. And that we might think that that's significant, insignificant, but God cared enough about this ordinary servant girl to name her by name in his word. Let's credit another ordinary person with advancing the kingdom of God. Finally, Peter. Peter, who we think is this really special guy, and he was. There were also many times where Peter was like the king of putting his foot in his mouth and actually kind of selfish. But a lot of times we see Peter as like the hero of our Christian faith, and we know that he's the rock that Jesus was going to build his church upon. But we have to remember, Peter, ordinary guy too. 
He was not a religious leader. He was not a political leader. He did not have clout or influence in his community at all. Just like James, Peter was a fisherman. I'm not knocking fishermen. I'm sure there's a few of us in here that wouldn't mind doing that for a living. But being a fisherman wasn't really a prestigious position. And there were plenty of times I alluded to already that Peter wasn't even really a very good friend. I mean, the I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus whole thing that he had to deal with. And yet, just, (laughs) you guys could probably name so many more, but God worked miracles through Peter. He heals the lame beggar. He rescues him from prison and death. And he has him go share the whole experience with the people who are praying so he can say, look, earnest prayer works. God rescued me from prison. And then he leaves and he goes to another place, which is basically like he goes everywhere and and tells people the good news about the kingdom of God. Many of us and maybe all of us are ordinary people. We're ordinary people with what most people probably consider to be ordinary jobs, right? We're construction workers, um, we're carpenters, we're waiters and waitresses, we're teachers and coaches, we're small business owners, we're babysitters, we're lawnmowers, we're dog walkers. We're ordinary people. Ordinary people who make mistakes. Ordinary people who get hurt. Ordinary people who hurt other people. Ordinary people who say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Sometimes, there might be an ordinary child, probably not in this room, but an ordinary child that might choose to disobey their parents. But we're ordinary people who want to believe in Jesus. Like, we do believe in Jesus, and we want to believe in Jesus. And I'm not talking about intellectually. I'm talking about with our heart and soul. We want Jesus. We want to trust him with everything. We want to make him the Lord of our life and the Lord of every aspect of our lives. And yet, we are all these other things, too. People who make mistakes and people who hurt and get hurt and on and on and on. But something about Jesus that calls us to him. And even though sometimes we might have doubts, we are people that can say, Jesus, I believe. Please help me with my unbelief. And go ahead. And if you're struggling with that, call that prayer out to him. He'll answer that prayer. He understands us. With all that stuff, we're still the people that God wants to use. We are the ordinary people that will continue to advance the kingdom of God. We're the ordinary people that are part of God's story. Ordinary people that have faith in Jesus. Ordinary people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us not miss that. Because we're not, what can we do on our own? Nothing. By the power, ordinary people gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit who are, who are called to continue the mission of of Jesus. Amen? So here's what I want to close because every time we're in this room, we're surrounded by the mission of Jesus. The words are on the walls. So if you would read it with me, that'd be great. If you can see it, look to this wall and let's read this together. The mission of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Now, if we do this, we will do this. It's like one won't happen without the other. It's amazing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom. God wants to use you. And I'm probably dating myself, but you guys remember that old Uncle Sam poster where he's like pointing at you? That's what I have in my hand. But God wants to use me, and God wants to use us, and God wants to use you. And I... Like, if I had the time, I'd start naming your names, but I'm looking in some of your faces because I know that you know that I'm talking to you right now. God wants to use you, and maybe he already is using you to advance his kingdom. And I'm not just looking at the adults. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for all of us in the way that you speak, in the way that you pray, in the way that you live, in the way that you love. God doesn't call the qualified. This is a quote that you've heard before but it's, it just makes sense today. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's us. That's what he's going to do. That's what he is doing for us. He's called us and he'd say, just get up, put on your shoes, put on your coat, and follow me out the door, and I will qualify you to do what I want you to do. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's hard to even have too many more words besides that. Or if there's like there's just more words. Like we hardcore thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done, and for inviting us to be a part of it. That that a bunch of ordinary people get to be a part of your extraordinary life. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And I pray the Holy Spirit would would move in us and stir us and guide us and instruct us and challenge us and do all the things that he needs to do to each of us as individuals. And God, I pray that even right in this moment that you would put a particular person or a particular group of persecuted people, struggling people or a struggling person on the mind of every person here and that that would be the person or the group of people that they are going to earnestly pray for, God, that they're going to sincerely pray for. In the name of Jesus, which means by the authority of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.